basically the the tips of their toes and fingers were rotting it's legally used in many countries welcome to the diary of a researcher where we unearth controversies discoveries and address the uncomfortable topics whether you're in academia or industry professor or student these are the things worth knowing to give you that slight edge in your field i am your host matthew o'neill apricot kernels and their bittersweet sides today i'm joined by dr sammy who does all things psychom for public hi everyone apricot kernels bitter almonds or apricot seeds are the names or a combination of that we usually hear so what's the fuss with this seemingly harmless seed kernel or nuts i say nut because that's what it appears to me i have no idea maybe it's all three <laughs> you have no idea Why why do we even have you here today? I don't know. I mean, it's all gray. It's not black or white. It does fall under that hard shell encapsulating something edible like the almond nut. But when you crack that shell, the core is soft at first and then it hardens over time. And that soft core fall under the kernel definition. The seed part is when the shell stays on and it must be able to be seeded into a plant. It could be two things as most nuts are seeds but not all seeds are nuts that's why um I have no idea it could be all three I'm not an expert but you know and what's the fuss about why is it important to address it the fuss is about letrile amygdalin or vitamin B17 and they all refer to the same compound and it's the claim that they can stop the spread or even cure cancer Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um it's so popular that in this recent Netflix series, I don't know if anyone's seen it with Zoe Saldana from scratch, one of the episodes where the male lead character he got cancer, they named the episode Bitter Almonds, and it is because of its link with cancer. It's not one of those clear wrong or right situations like the vaccine versus autism. You know it's clearly wrong. There are loads of advice by health gurus on the web indicating that apricot kernels can stop cancer from spreading and even cure it. It's a constant battle with science and government officials. The wild claims are one thing, but safety is another. The bottom line is that we don't want to get carried away with false hope or even lose out from finding a cure. And both of these things rely on evidence. We can't say that apricot seeds don't or do cure cancer we would honestly like it to but there's a process with all these things so tell us more about this extract in your simplest form if you could the extract was first extracted in the 1800s by some french chemists many studies have been done since then the prize compound that we mentioned before amygdalin was found to produce cyanide and i need not say more but i will So there's the enzyme beta glucosidase that liberates a nitrile compound that spontaneously decomposes to benzaldehyde and cyanide and this cyanide is what they say kills the cancer cells but not normal tissue because normal tissue contains larger amounts of another enzyme called thiosulfate transferase when compared to cancer tissue and this converts cyanide to thiocyanate and cancer tissue is also said to be richer in the beta glucosidase which adds to its increased ratio of cyanide 
So you have the cancer cells that are producing more of the cyanide, but are unable to eliminate it as much as the normal tissue. So they just accumulate cyanide and that's why the toxicity is targeted. But with this whole mechanism, um, scientists, they identified some flaws because the available information did not support the amount of beta-glucosidase enzyme that they were claiming. They found traces in normal cells and even less in cancer tissue. The metabolism of the enzyme was falsely portrayed. And the second enzyme, thiosulfate transferase, there was no evidence supporting differential amounts. So both cancer tissue and normal tissue had relatively the same amounts. There was another study by someone called Krebs or Krebs that supported the amygdalin, but they claimed a different metabolic route that started in the gut, then deliver, that then takes it to the cancer cell. But the enzyme substrate specificity from the start at the gut was all wrong. Well, that's crazy. You mentioned that amygdalin was just one of its names. So how did it end up as a vitamin? Is it a vitamin? Yes. So the vitamin theory, the alleged B17, the same folks that proposed the alternative route, I believe it's Scribb's son, transformed the compound into a vitamin and he just renamed it so it'd have a more positive connotation to it. And this was around the time when people were paying more attention to their nutrition and processed foods. So calling it a vitamin rebranded it. It had a nice ring to it now. The story also went from a fight in cancer to a lack of it causing cancer. Now people were thinking that you don't take it to fight cancer, now you take it to prevent cancer. And people who didn't even have cancer started eating them. Okay, so it's not a vitamin then? No, technically it doesn't follow the definition of a vitamin. It doesn't contribute to a physiological process that's vital to the organism. It's linked to cancer, is not clear-cut, and taking it doesn't get rid of the problem. Like other vitamins, say for instance scurvy, it's gone when you take vitamin C. A clear disease, a clear cure. And the thing is, you can live without amygdalin or vitamin B17 or latrial as they call it, all these three, um, the same compound. You can live without latrial or amygdalin or vitamin B17, um, but you can't live without vitamin C. And what about actual vitamins and cancer? Interestingly, around this time, they found the opposite with some vitamins, the deficiency and the B-group vitamins inhibited growth and led to the destruction of growing neoplasms. Recently, there have been some links with vitamin D and cancer. There's the antioxidant vitamins A, C and E with preventative properties. There are also studies with vitamins affecting the efficacy of chemotherapy, both positively and negatively. None of these vitamins offer a cure for cancer. They have their own disease that they cure. For instance, when vitamin C was used to cure scurvy, it was wiped out. And now it's a rare occurrence that can be easily fixed with just taking a vitamin C. You don't need to take it every day. Just an orange could get rid of the problem. Okay, so putting vitamins aside, what about the cyanide? Experiments have been done in the lab and on patients and no improvements have been seen. An experiment with rats showed increased survival but at the cost of erythema, edema and necrosis of the extremities. Basically, the, the tips of their toes and fingers were rotting. 
And if it targeted cancer cells, one of its biggest claims, why would your cancer-free toe be rotting away? I understand that this happens in chemotherapy as well. I've seen it firsthand, but the extent of cyanide was almost lethal. The effective dose and the lethal dose were very close. If the studies are seeing anti-cancer results, what's the controversy then? The concern is on safety. But if it was a cure, why is cancer still so rampant? So their claims are just massively exaggerated. Cancer is prevalent even in cultures that have been taking these same seeds for centuries. Experiments from the lab and real life are two different things. Clinical trials haven't been done, well, from the papers that I looked at. And the thing is, there are some merit because other cancer drugs like paclitaxel and cisplatin, they can kill you. And even paclitaxel, it's from a natural source as well. And the governments will rather ride the controversy train than fund another research. So is there still a fuss now? Nowadays, the fuss isn't that big among the scientific community. It was something that the medical community faced because most haven't heard of it. When speaking to my peers, most of them haven't heard of it. The ones who have heard about it usually have a family member with cancer and I've been in science so long and that's how I heard of it too. Thankfully, I could have responded because when you're a scientist, you're asked about everything under the sun. Um, why is it still so popular among cancer patients? So when someone's diagnosed with cancer, the first thing that they do is try to Google a cure, look for any hope. And the thing that appears on the top of the list of every search is this magic bullet cure, which is the apricot seed. But this happened before the interweb days in the 1960s and 70s, just through word and mouth. Also, if you go on the reviews on Amazon of these seeds, you would see people testifying that it is a miracle cure. And most of the reviews would be like this. The doctor said I had six months to live and I took the apricot seeds and now look at me 10 months later. And the thing is, these doctors just give an estimate. They don't mean 10 months, it's give or take. And all these reviews are positive, but the ones that die won't come on and write a review. So the reviews are highly biased because only the survivors can give a testimony. Sometimes you'd have a family member come on and write a review that they live two months longer, which is still insufficient. It's like a skewed self-perpetuation by the cancer community to the cancer community. And how are the authorities dealing with this? Um, they tried, but soon realized it made no sense as some countries have been using it in their food for centuries. In California, the controversy was big. Back in the 70s, it was prohibited, but patients would still go through great lengths to receive it in foreign clinics. It was a period where physicians, their nurses, secretaries, dietitians that lectured for the apricot seeds, Motel owners near the Mexican border housing patients that would go back and forth. They were all arrested. Soon after, the government's zeal over the organized medicine fizzled out. They handed the choice back to the cancer patients because of the lack of consensus among all stakeholders, including health professionals. The main reason was because this plant can grow anywhere in the world with the right climate and can be extracted easily. No one was going to get rich from this unless it was prohibited, like opium. 
it's cheap to manufacture, but it's only valuable where it's prohibited, is found in over 1,200 plants, including Arctic and tropical plants. Obviously, it's in a higher content in the apricot seeds. The U.S. was not about to waste decades of resources, as they and many others have wasted with cannabis. The most that they did was regulated through an FDA ban. It's legally used in many countries and certain states of the U.S. The ban did not stop anything. The traffic still increased. With regard to the topic of cannabis, a common argument is that it's natural. Natural things from nature shouldn't be banned. Yeah, I agree. To some extent, it should not be banned, but it should be regulated or banned until we know more. And it's simply for people who like trying new things without considering the risk. Most people do think before they just eat a mushroom on their forest walk. There is naturally toxic stuff in nature, even lethal. There's a reason you should not just pick something and eat it. Just because you see an animal eating it doesn't mean you can. We have all evolved differently. Birds can eat elderberries because they have evolved to metabolize the cyanide in them. Humans, on the other hand, will have to take a trip to the hospital, will get a tummy ache, and depending on the amount, things could be worse. A couple of years ago, there was this video that was massively circulated about apricot seeds and how animals eat them and that animals have less cancer. And this was so reckless for many reasons. As I just stated, one of them was evolution. With animals, there's so much to consider. They have an entirely different diet from ours. They eat the entire fruit. They eat the whole fruit. They don't have cereal for breakfast. They don't have processed foods. Additionally, they don't live as long as humans. So these comparisons have to be taken with several pinches of salt. On the research side of things, you said that there are studies. And what is the current stance from that perspective? There are many studies, some in vitro, some in vivo, most focus on the mechanisms like apoptosis and cell proliferation, cytotoxicity. Data collected from published articles reveal that apoptosis is a central process activated by amygdalin in these cancer cells, so they stimulate the apoptosis process. They also promote the arrest of the cell cycle. They block proliferation and growth. They have also found diverse effects on degenerative diseases, not only cancer, but like cardiovascular diseases, um, hemostasis, pharmacological effects such as antiparasitic, anti-aged, hepatoprotective, antioxidant um, properties have also been reported. The medicinal and therapeutic effect has not been studied with respect to this apricot seed. So far, all the studies that I have mentioned are nutraceutical and just study the mechanistic basis. In terms of human studies, there was this one case study with a 67-year-old man in Australia. He was having these seeds for five years to keep his prostate cancer in remission. He ended up in the hospital and the doctors were baffled as he was healthy. He would bike 50 miles a week. When they did the blood test, he had cyanide poisoning. And one unit more would have resulted him in a coma as his oxygen was so low. This happened in 2017. So he must have been getting it somewhere on the black market or was gifted it. Because in 2015, the sale of these seeds were banned in New Zealand and Australia. And despite all this medical info, he still continued to take the seeds. So was science mistaken? 
No, and I will admit I could be biased, but we never wrote it off. Science is about evidence, and so far the evidence is that cyanide is poisonous. That's one thing we know for sure. It's better to be saved than sorry. And at the time, no one disagreed about the cyanide production or content at any point. And before science can believe or state that anything is safe, there must be evidence. We can't give conclusion-based theories, despite how logical they might sound. And to date, we still don't recommend it because well-planned clinical trials are still needed to prove its effectiveness in vivo and then approval for human use. Okay, so you wouldn't take the extract, but are the seeds safe to eat? Would you say that? Oh, you're not going to catch me with that one um, for everyone to then say, I recommended you eat these seeds. But what I will say from reading a poisonous book years ago, only because my mom was an avid gardener, and she had this book with toxic herbs and whatnot. And one of the poisonous seeds were apple seeds. The guy who found out that they were poisonous ate a cup of apple seeds and died. Basically, he took one for the team, team science. But it was also said that eating the seeds were not poisonous, but it's the amount. So if you can eat 10 apples, then you can eat the seeds worth of 10 apples. I'm not sure if this is with the fruit and the seed or the seeds alone. But I think with the fruit, it helps to dilute or metabolize or counteract the toxins. No way we could eat a barrel of apples. And I think that's the amount of seeds that were eaten. Accidental cyanide poisonings from the consumption of stone fruit kernels are not frequently reported. Actual poisoning, especially of children, does occur worldwide. With the animals and apricot video, the animals consume the fruit with the seeds. So maybe the fruit works in synergy or something. My advice would just be to use some intellect. It's very tricky because there isn't research saying it's a clear-cut good or bad. And that's why governments are only giving warnings. Courts can't implement bans because the evidence is lacking, especially on its bad side. And how much cyanide can these seeds contain? So one study um, did look into this. They found it varied between 12 and 177 milligrams per 100 grams. And they noted that the kernels with the least cyanide was sweeter. And that's why one of their common names is bitter almonds. And this bitterness is a clear sign of nature warning you. Okay, so... How do we know how much is in a seed when, for example, I buy some from Amazon? Or do you not get that information? That's correct. You don't. Um, and each purchase will have a different amount depending on the climate, region, time, and other harvest conditions of the source. One study found that out of the six seeds they chemically profiled, only two contain amygdalin. And this is a common problem when things aren't regulated, tested, or certified. You could be buying supermarket almonds soaked in paracetamol for that bitter taste at a highly marked up price. And this is how people get poisoned. One month they could be buying seeds that contain 12 milligrams and the next month from the same retailer they can contain 10 times the amount. So instead of eating 10 seeds, now you just eat 100 seeds worth. Even the regulation states that 10 or 50 seeds max you should be taken, and this is a broad range. With children getting poisoned too, um, most adults will get a tummy ache. Kids end up in ICU having to get their stomachs flushed and have to receive activated charcoal and such. 
That sounds pretty traumatizing. So taking all of this together and focusing on the evidence and the positives, what's the takeaway? I would just say to give science a chance. Let, let's do this thing right before it goes wrong. Plants have the potential to provide value, but if we abuse them before we get to study them, it will only slow these findings. 70% of pharma drugs on the market are from nature, either natural or semi-synthetic. Thankfully, what happened with cannabis hasn't happened with these seeds and we are getting to study it with all the heavy regulation that cannabis research has and scientists are finding out so much beyond cancer. We're not dismissing it. There is potential, but we have to give this and other stuff like mushrooms a chance. We're still at a point where we can't say if it's good or bad. Just advise people to exercise some common sense. The only person I can reason with is someone with cancer. You do what you want. Sign up for that trial. Have these bitter seeds. I won't be having them. I've had them. They are repulsive. And I don't think I personally want to increase my suffering. Strangely though, there is this Egyptian snack that's made with them. It's called um, Dukha. I think I pronounced that right. Um, I tried to find out if it was the bitter seeds or the sweet one, but I saw some use the bitter ones, some use the sweet ones. For the bitter one, one blogger describes it as having a mildly bitter taste initially and then a pleasant aftertaste. So I know some are using the bitter almonds. And this dip or season that they make has been around for thousands of years. Usually, they would use almonds or some other nut, but I don't know when they started to incorporate apricot kernels. What should also be noted is when they prepare this sweet, the dhaka, it involves toasting the nuts at first and like cassava or yam or elderberries. You have to cook these things to get rid of the cyanide poison to make it safe for us to eat. So perhaps it's this thermal process that degrades the cyanide here. Obviously, more research is needed on this but I've seen recommendations for toasting and boiling the seeds to reduce the amygdalin. So perhaps, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, somebody has cancer. I'm, I'm not going to argue with them. I don't know how I'd be if I was in their shoes either. Anyways, I'd like to thank Dr. Sammy for joining us today. If you would like to have a read on your own, don't just take our word. There's a reading list below. At the moment, we couldn't find the apricot seed propaganda video with the animals not having cancer. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. Thank you for listening. Okay, and I have got a pack of apricot kernels here. So let's just try one. And also, if you want to enjoy this ad-free, subscribe or get the public app subscription that includes this and much more. It summarizes scientific publications in audio and text, so you can listen on the go, in the lab, etc. And currently there are over 100 papers to choose from on various topics. Now, it's stuff you usually would or wouldn't listen to, but it does help fulfill that essential need to read in academia.